This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another Ripflicks.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Babak Ambari. Hello, Babak. Hi. You're the uh, writer-director of the rather fantastic horror film Under the Shadow. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what that film's about? Sure. Uh, it's set uh, in the 80s, uh, Iran and Tehran, during the Iran-Iraq war, and right after the uh, uh, revolution in Iran um, and it's about a mother and a daughter who are left alone in their uh, apartment because the father of the house is um, is off on the front line um, serving mm-hmm. uh, the, you know um, as a doctor and um, whilst dealing with all the sort of like um, anxieties of wartime and like bombs falling over you know uh, their heads. Um, they start to bit by bit. They start to believe that their apartment is also haunted by a by a sort of a malevolent uh, supernatural entity. Uh, so that that's basically it. <laughs> no, no, that, 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 that's a good, that's a good description for it. Yeah. And, um, and 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 within within the mythology of the within the mythology of the religion, it's it's called a jinn, isn't it? The, the, yes, the, the, which is, I believe, is the, where the word genie comes from. Is exactly, yeah. genie in Aladdin is actually a trapped jinn in yeah. a in a lamp uh, in a lamp. And the thing is that, uh, according to the Middle Eastern mythology, jinn can be they can be evil, they can be benevolent and good. Uh, uh, you know, it depends on the type. Uh, so uh, you know, and they have free will. Uh, they're basically kind of similar to, you know, demons uh, in Christian culture, or yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, every every culture has its own, has its own sort of supernatural. No, no, of course, you know, that, it, was just, it, was just, it was just the surprise of um, of, of the, the link with genie in terms of how, yeah, you know, from a Western point of view, we understand it. So, so yeah. I mean, this is a film that's that's sort of, I guess, has played on the on the festival circuit, yeah. Yeah, um, and and as now, I mean, in the UK, for those for the Britflix listeners in the UK, it's available to watch now on Netflix. Correct. Um, and you've got a is it DVD Blu-ray release coming up? Uh yeah, I think on the twenty third. Yes, uh, it's exciting. Indeed, indeed. So, so yeah. going right back to the beginning, then what 
what compelled you as a as a writer then to 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 go for this story? What was it that what attracted you to write this? Uh, sure. I mean, it was mainly tapping into my childhood memories because I was born in Iran, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the 80s, right in the middle of the Iran-Iraq war. So just remembering that time and, you know, by the time war ended, I was more or less the same age as the child in the film. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. So, so it was basically revisiting those memories and talking to my parents and remembering stories that my parents would tell me, like, you know, relatives, family, friends, because... You know, obviously, the backdrop of the film is uh, is very uh, sort of real, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, the film even starts off feeling uh, like a social realist drama and bit by bit it shifts into, you know, into more like sort of expressionist horror style. Um, so, yeah, so that was that's that's how it started. And, and, and you know, you made a, you made a big decision for going specifically for that area to to do a period piece as opposed to contemporary sure yeah well, i mean because it you know i felt like also uh um you know it would make it more personal and especially for a first feature film i think you know it needed to come from somewhere personal and uh, uh the most the, you know you know the the best the most personal place is like everyone's childhood and like what they remember from their background so yeah 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 and, and and it's a it's I mean even though it's set when it's set it's, it it has prescience today um, certainly even you know like you say the social realism start at the beginning where you have mm-hmm. the change happening culturally because yeah. of what the, what instigated the war and you have the the mother who is told she can no longer study exactly yeah um, so you you you, mani- you manage to to sort of put in sort of fairly. Fairly political stuff, as well as as well as sort of you know build a lot of dread and unease in in, in your in your first feature. Yeah, well, that came from the setting, you know, um, you know, eighties Tehran, eighties Iran was quite like a dark and intense time because of the war, and you know the country was going through a lot of changes because uh, it was after the revolution. So I thought it's a great setting for a horror or a psychological thriller, mm. uh, depending on on the interpretation. Uh, you know, uh, because I, I talked to audience members after the film and each and every one of them have their own take. Some 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 see it as like a sort of a horror film. Others see it more as like a psychological thrillers or an, you know, allegory or whatnot. So so that that's really up to the audience to decide. Yeah. Yeah. So so in terms of when you were scripting this, then what for you were the hard was the hardest challenge to resolve in storytelling terms? Uh, I think the hardest challenge was to make sure that the, because I always knew that I want to start the film in a real place. Like, you know, like I said, like starting off feeling like it's a social re- realist drama yeah, about that yeah. period in Iran. And that the key thing for me is to manage a way to, to do the transition very seamlessly, you know, into the more sort of like the horror realm. Mm. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, that you know, obviously, took polish after polish after polish of the script to get to that point. Um, and um, because you know, it was very important for me that, like, you know, you start off with this woman in, in kind of a men's world, and everything's unraveling around her, and she's trying to find her place in this society. And um, and bit by bit, uh, you know, as she gets more and more isolated, we enter we enter her mind, and that's mm. when the shift kind of starts yeah 
So, so in in that sense, then when when you when you when you were happy with the screenplay and you were moving into pre production stage, what mm-hmm. what what aspects of what was on the page seemed the most cha- mo- mo- you know most insurmountable to film, and, and and what did you do to make it possible? Well, the most challenging bits were all the the visual effects and special effects bits because mm. you know we didn't have tons of money. It was a very low budget film. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, we were lucky because uh, we, you know, we did. Uh, we tried to do a lot of uh, effects in camera, uh, and then afterwards, we were very lucky to uh, team up with a VFX company, both uh, sorry, uh, based in Bournemouth, uh, called Outpost, and they're great. I mean, they've done stuff for like, you know, recently for Nocturnal Animals and like loads of other stuff, and then they came on board and really helped us uh sort of like enhancing the effects and 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 made it you know obviously awesome uh so that was always the worry going in like the effects on a in a you know on a low budget film uh but when it came to shoot actually i realized that um all the action well i call it action like all the like the chase scenes or running around or, or the horror bits uh they were actually fun to to do the most, uh, whilst we were shooting, I think the most difficult scenes were the, like, sort of more dramatic scenes when they're, like, two characters sitting around and, like, chatting or having an argument. Um, those were always, oh, those days when we had to shoot those scenes, we always, we were always aware that it's going to take, uh, you know, more time. Uh, what, so, what, what was it about those scenes that took more time then that you weren't anticipating? Well, because, you know, the actors need to be in a sort of like a right place and they need to really, you know, uh, uh, figure out what they're doing, their motivation and like, uh, you know, and it, it just, it takes a while. I mean, there's a long sort of arguing, argument scene right in the first act of the film. Yeah. I think that took a whole day, you know, it's between the couple, the, 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 the wife and the husband, um, our protagonist and her husband. Mm. And uh, I remember like, because the actors were really in, in the zone, like, and it was so intense, like the whole crew felt like very tense. And, uh, but you can't help it because you're around that sort mm. of, I guess, energy. Um, and that's the job they need to, you know, when they're arguing, they need to be in that zone. So, so it gets a bit like, you know, obviously those type of scenes gets a bit like exhausting after a while, um, you know. But, I, you know, um, opposite of that is that when, you know, she's running away from the gin or stuff that's happening, that was actually fun because, you know, we were like, this is so cool. <laughs> you know, um, so, yeah. So what, what was your involvement in the design of the gin? You know, what, 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 um, what, how are you going to represent that? Uh, I was like, oh, I always had a, a clear image of like what the gin is going to look like. Obviously it shows up because they're shapeshifted. Uh, you know, they never, they, you know, according to mythology, they don't have like a, uh, physical, uh, sort of, uh, form in our, in our world. So they can, you know, change into whatever they want or whatever the, uh, you know, whatever they can scare whoever they want to scare, uh, their victims. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so I always knew, uh, the design of it, like each and every time they like manifest themselves, how they're going to look like. Um, but the challenge was to obviously, 
explain that to the VFX people and the producers and the, you know, <laughs> my crew. So, uh, luckily I teamed up with a, uh, amazing illustrator who, who's done tons of, um, work, um, um, uh, Rhiannon Fraser. Uh, she's worked on Game of Thrones as a graphic designer and like Paddington and loads of films. Uh, and she was so nice and kind and lovely that like, uh, f- you know, asking for nothing just as a, you know, friend and a supporter, uh, helped me to, you know, I explained to her what I wanted and she, she, she created these concept arts, which ended up being very, very useful. Um, yeah. So, so that's, that's how I designed it in a very, very early stage. And then we used those concept arts to explain what we wanted to the, to the rest of the team. Now, now you've already said that the the the, the, the sort of argumentative and, and 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 high tension scenes involved created like an atmosphere for for the cast and crew. How, yeah. How did you go about taking someone as young as uh, as Avin, who plays the daughter, Dorsa? How, how did you get her through that as a director? What did you think? What did? How did you find your role was then? Well, you know, your approach obviously the whole everyone's approach and the actors as well when it comes to a child is different because. You know, uh, and also children amazingly have this ability to literally tap into their imagination, you know, because they're like, <laughs> you know, they're children. Yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah. you don't really act. It's so much easier in some ways to work with them. If they're good and talented and very sort of creative and imaginative, they really get you like because they love to play games all the time and like, you know, mm. be these imaginary characters. So. Uh, I think my, uh, obviously, first and foremost, we need to make sure that she is always protected. But mm-hmm. uh, because she was so smart, um, I had like rehearsals with her. But during those rehearsals, I never actually went through any scenes with her, with Alvin, the little child. What we did was that uh, I played these role playing games that I was like, I'll, I'll be the big bad wolf, you be three little pigs. And we started playing these games so that she gets my trust. And then when he came to the shoot, I said, this is exactly similar situation, um, you know, just on a slightly bigger scale. You know, we're just playing games here. Yeah, and she yeah, completely yeah. got it because she's so she's such a smart child. And, um, you know, like first day or two of the shoot, like the first few days, she was a bit overwhelmed because this is the first time for her acting. She'd never done it before, hmm. uh, you know, being around crew and everyone. But um but literally by the end of first week, uh, she was like acting like a professional actress, like going to my director of photography saying, put my mark down there, please. And like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she was also observing, like, now na- na- I guess Rashidu plays her mom yeah. and like really learning a lot from her and how she deals with situations and absorbing it. So she, she literally became like a hundred percent professional <laughs> by the end of week one. So what was what was the um, what was the, the the sort of auditioning process for the for the child character? Uh, we approached the Iranian community in London, mm-hmm. and we basically told them uh, we're looking for uh, you know talented uh, young girls who can speak Farsi fluently because that mm-hmm. was very key for us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and then we got like uh, some recommendations. I, I, I auditioned about like twelve, thirteen kids and uh with Alvin as soon as she entered the room we knew that she's the one because like I said she instantly was so 
you know, full of energy and so talented and creative. Actually, before arriving uh, for the audition, her mom sent us a clip of her at school uh, holding this uh, uh, painting that she'd done about the Great Fire of London right. and telling the story of the Great Fire of London with this really somber, serious expression and tearful eyes and like telling the story. But then in the in the picture that she's drawn, like, you know, you see like buildings are on fire, everything's going crazy. But then right in the middle of it, there's a unicorn out of nowhere. <laughs> and, then, and then my producer and I was like, oh, she's a she's interesting. She, she's, you know, she thinks out of the box. So and then we were right. As, as soon as she arrived, we realized that, uh, yeah, she's so smart and clever. Now, now the other the other obviously linchpin of the film is uh, is Shadir. Is it, do I pronounce the name Shadir? Shida, Shida, yeah. Shida, the, the mother, yeah. Najee yeah. Rashidi. Because um, because her role has to be both the the person that we kind of kind of get frustrated with because she's cynical, but then we have to yeah. sort of be empathetic towards when, yeah. you know, for one of her expression, the shit hits the fan. And she has yeah. to become like, oh, well, has to become like an action hero, doesn't she, in many senses? Exactly. In, in the realms yeah. of the... So, so what was your... What, I, Find what was it you saw in her that then you know you were rewarded with in the, in the performance? Um, it was that just like instant chemistry, uh, uh, like you know, because that's what you're looking for when you're looking for an actress who you know you're hoping to be your protagonist. And with Nagus, she got recommended to us, and uh, she's not she's based in LA. She grew up in Germany, done loads of TV and film in Germany, which only recently moved to LA. So. I started Skyping with her and uh, talking to her on the phone and we did, uh, we went through the script and first uh, signal was that she really got the script and, you know, the character. And obviously because she was also born in Iran and left when she was like five, six years old, mm-hmm. uh, um, she remembered all of that. And like, um, and, you know, she always says that like she grew up uh, trying, you know, being a German, like, or like adopting to the environment that she's growing up. Uh, so she kind of like all that stuff about Iran was always like in, you know, in the, you know, in a little box in the back of her mind. And yeah. this film made her to go and revisit those memories, uh, yeah. that which she loved. So that was really important. And then she came to London and I, I met, met up with her and then uh, we did a reading together and then I realized, yeah, she, she's the one. Um, so, yeah, we were and we were very lucky to have her on board because obviously, you know, she's in every scene of the almost every scene of the film. Yeah. What's what would be I mean, I, I, forgive me ignorance. What, what will be the sort of interest or demand for this kind of film in Iraq or Iran? You know, this. Um, making a horror film because I remember I got I've got a, a Pakistan horror film called Hell's Ground, which the guy mm-hmm. is the Pakistan film funded it and it was made there, but it's banned. It can't be shown in Pakistan for you know. Yeah, well, with our film as well, it's um, uh, basically we all we know that it's never going to get an official release uh, because ultimately, you know, we we it's a it's a British film uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, the producers and the HODs, heads of departments and everyone from here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, but, and we shot it in Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing is that it's in Farsi and set in Iran. Yeah. Uh, so, and the Ir- Iranian authorities tend to 
have uh, tend to be a bit sensitive. Some of them be a bit sensitive about films being made about Iran outside mm-hmm. of Iran because oh, they can't okay. really control the content. And so, and for that reason, I don't think the film will ever get an official release there. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything offensive in it, but oh no, 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 I just wondered whether. It, yeah, but but yeah, it is. But I uh, I know that a lot of Iranians already seen it and had their hands on it like you know whether bootlegs copy going around or <laughs> whatnot they always they always find a way to watch these films because i get a lot of like uh messages through social media so i know that it's a kind of um you know getting popular there or like people are like aware of it and watching it so mm. so that's good but you know it's just not through official channels <laughs> indeed indeed now let's remind people yeah. then so it's um it's available to watch already in the UK via Netflix for those that subscribe and then it's yeah. going to get a proper release on what date oh it already had its cinema release no um, no no on, on DVD and stuff it's going to oh on DVD is 23rd of January 23rd of January, so that's not far off yeah. from when we're recording this. Now, one yeah. last thing for, for, for me to, to say is that, is that you were saying that you had uh, lots of different reactions from your audience and what they read yeah. into it. And I think for me, and it was, I was talking to my wife, I watched it with my wife, and with certainly the way it ends with the kind of uh, the mother getting lost in the gin, I won't say any more than that for, for, it, for I think you can picture what I'm talking about. Yes, yes. It, it felt, that felt very metaphorical or allegorical about the veil and the women having to cover up the way uh-huh. you, know, you know using that that imagery to, to mm-hmm. sort of make that point because obviously there's literal bits points made about that in the film where she obviously is she's escaping and she's arrested for not being arrest. covered, for not being covered up and i thought the way that those, those sort of end sequences were felt like they were kind maybe maybe metaphorical horror images um, of that Sure. I mean, to be honest with you, um, I always say that, like, as a filmmaker, I don't really want to dictate to the audience how to watch a film or like how to uh, interpret the film because I think it's uh, it's not really nice because you know the part of fun of the film wa- uh, watching, if, you know, for an audience is to figure, you know, have their own interpretation or reading of a film. So, so if someone wants to, uh, you know read into it uh that's amazing and if someone wants to just watch it as like a you know haunted house story that's also amazing but going back to metaphors i think that's a great thing about metaphors even if they're there you know the whole point is to not give a you know sort of like a direct answer it's just um you know have give clues so that people have their own sort of ideas if i'm making sense yeah no no because no, it's, like, it's like anything yeah. isn't it? it's like you, yeah. you you can't you can't make anyone like it or hate it you can only get them let them experience it exactly and, and they exactly get, and, and they, they bring that, their own baggage their own enthusiasm their own good or bad vibe to the movie exactly. and i should add as well which i probably haven't had, haven't had a chance to say is that it is a bloody good horror film it's oh, very thank you. Uh, you 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 really had me on edge it has a great unease running up once once we establish there's maybe something more than the real world, then yeah. you, you, you crank it up really well. So I congratulate you for, uh, for a fantastic movie. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased you liked it. Well, look, thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflits podcast. Thanks for having me. My, my pleasure. Hopefully we can get you on another time. Hopefully. Thank you. Take care. All the best. And you. Bye. Bye-bye. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, 
Just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.